so I will call to order our first in-person meeting of the Housing and Community Development Commission since March 2020. Yeah. Um, and we've got an ambitious agenda here. Um, so I think we'll do what we can to proceed economically through it. It tends to happen since we had to cancel our, our meeting uh, in July. And I think that maybe for uh, an order of business, we should probably try to speak as loudly as we can between the large room and, <coughs> and um, the transcription. I, I think all of these mics are on, right? So that, that they should are. help. Yeah, that should help with the recording. I will attempt to speak up. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose on the, on the <laughs> your, your voice carries pretty well. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll start with the consideration of the minutes from the June uh, June twenty twenty meeting. Did anyone have any uh, corrections or, or comments? We'll uh, we have to take a motion on the minutes, right? We'll, we'll need a motion for approval. We have a second? Second. I think Caleb uh, got that. And uh, we don't need a roll call here, right? We can just. Uh, no. Uh, do we have uh, in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? All right, let's go to... Excuse me, I, I do have one question. Yeah. Is, is there a general uh, comment period for us on the agenda? Because I'm just, there's something on last month's agenda that's not on this month's agenda, and I'm just wondering why. Um, do you know which item it was? We're really not supposed yeah. to discuss anything that's not it's on the agenda. It's the uh, American Rescue Plan Act funds. The only reason I didn't put that one on this agenda again was because the, the first survey period for that closed. It was okay. due August 16th. So. Okay, got it. Yeah, and, and in addition, it's um, there's one item on the agenda that if, depending on what we do with it or where we go with it, it, it would naturally tie in. That's the, the locally funded voucher program. That That's something that um, if we decide to do some sort of action around that, it would probably tie with the American Rescue Plan. But, so it may reemerge in some ways. Okay, thank you. Uh, let's go to uh, let's go to welcome our new members uh, first. I think since we have our two new members here, um, so we have uh, Caleb and, and Becky. And what I thought I'd do is give you an opportunity to introduce yourselves, and then all of us can uh, go around the table as well. But we'll start with with Caleb and Becky and. I figure name, uh, pronouns, and maybe just a word about what brings you to HCDC. Um, my name is Gil Wenning. I go by the pronouns of uh, Ian Hez. Um, I was brought to this commission because I have a substantial interest in affordable housing and a strong interest in the development of Johnson County. My name is Becky Reedus, and I go to my pronouns of she and her. Um, uh, I am a retired uh, from nonprofit work. Um, 45 years, if I count it all together, a long time, most of my life, it feels like. Um, uh, in Iowa City, I was the executive director of the community for 13 years um, when I retired. Um, and I've been asked to speak a little bit if there's any concerns that I may have, a conflict of interest. And I've spoken to 
the acting as sitting attorney, I think it, it is. Um, and I do not have a conflict of interest. Um, uh, if anybody uh, recalls uh, things that I've been active in in the past couple of years, it's forming a coalition to make all nonprofits um, providing services to um, individuals stronger. And I am sitting advocating for increased funding for all nonprofits. So. I love the uh, community as much as I love all the others. <laughs> I just, uh, I won't be swayed uh, because of my past uh, allegiance to um, community, of which there is nothing at this point. So that's me. I'll just add for that concern. Um, since you already funded the aid agencies, which community crisis centers, that means she's not involved in that allocation and you're not gonna, uh, you're not gonna look at those allocations for another year, so. The conflict only remains a year from after you leave that organization. So hopefully by the next time uh, you go to what fiscal year twenty three allocation, so, yeah. um, she should have a conflict. So yep. And uh, I suppose we'll we'll have uh, exist or uh, previous members of the commission maybe say. I'm uh, Kyle. This year, your year. Last name Bogle. Uh, he his. Uh, although I pretty much answer anything. Um, yeah, I, I've been on just about a year. I, I, I guess this is a year for me. Uh, yeah, I'm an, I'm an Iowa City West guy. I live over on the west side of town. I'm a transplant from here. My wife sucked me into the Iowa City Vortex. Uh, 2000, 1999-2000 from Kansas City where I grew up. And then uh, we moved away for about eight years and then moved back here five years ago. So um, I've been active in property management for 20 years in Iowa City. Um, working with Keystone Property Management. I bought the company about five years ago, so that's what I do now. Um, and yeah, I've, I've been working with city staff on the professional side for a long time, and I felt it was a, a need to be part of the planning process and not just at the, I guess, at the, the end of, the, uh, the, end of the, the factory output, so. Uh, my name is Nasruddin Muhammad. I'm going with my short name, Nasr Muhammad. I live in Iowa City since 2013. I came here for school with my wife and my kids. I work on Sidi Rabbits as QA associate for a small firm called Simpak. Also, I am active in the Sudanese community center. Yeah, I'm very interested in the HCDC activities and advocate for the people in the and uh, I'm Matt Drabeck, uh, pronouns he, him. And uh, as far as community involvement, I, I was a founding member of the Iowa City Tenants Union a couple of years ago, uh, active with, as a board member with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, the Johnson County Chapter, and uh, the Iowa City Chapter of Democratic Socialists of America. And uh, the reason I'm facilitating this meeting is because we don't have a chair. Um, we're going to elect a chair later in the meeting. And I was the outgoing uh, vice chair, so I've been the vice chair of uh, HCDC over the course of the last year. And I'm entering my third and final year of HCDC. Well, good, Peter. My name is uh, Peter Nkumu. I'm a longtime uh, Iowa City resident. I work uh, for Johnson County General Assistance, and I'm also uh, the president of the Congolese community. I'm currently also representing the HCDC and the uh, Affordable Housing Steering Committee with the City of Iowa City. And 
I came in the commission uh, uh, on a learning project uh, mission. I mean, I, I really, really came to learn. Uh, affordable housing is uh, something that really interested our community, and uh, I want to learn as much as I can so I can uh, help folks in my community understand uh, how to navigate uh, housing around Iowa City. Yeah, so uh, we're all welcome here, and welcome Caleb and, uh, <coughs> and Becky. Uh, we'll go to, I want to go next to public comment of items not on the agenda. I'm not sure, I know we'll see if we've got it on the agenda later. Do we have any public comment? I should wait and see who's coming in. <laughs> they have a public comment. So our next item on the agenda is officer nominations, but unless anyone has, has any major objections to this, we do have at least one person coming later. Um, officer nominations is really ideal to have as many people as, as, as we can. It's one of the most important things we do. So I'm going to move past that and with the note that we will come back to it um, for the end of the meeting. Though I'm looking at the next item thinking that we might have to put that one off of it too, right? Yeah. I think we have an essential person who's not here. Do you have any feedback on that? Are we talking about the unsuccessful and delayed? Right. We have an update from Little Creations, but I believe the person who's, who's going to be providing the update hasn't arrived yet. Okay, cool. I defer it until then. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll come back to that. I'll make a little note here. So our next item is a discussion of locally funded uh, voucher program. And I thought I'd start by saying a little word to provide context. I mean, we do have uh, two new members of the commission, and it's been a couple of months since we were, we were on this topic. But uh, by way of a little background, we had a discussion in June, and there's a summary of that discussion in your uh, in your packet. It's in the it's in the meeting minutes from June. But we had a discussion with Steve Rackus uh, from the City Housing Authority over uh, a report that we approved, essentially. And one of the uh, one of the items in that report was a list of uh, basically numbers around uh, housing choice vouchers and uh, public housing and. Uh, one person, I believe Kyle was, was the person who first raised this issue, but uh, noted that there's a large backlog uh, in that program, and we had a discussion around uh, how to best clear that backlog. And uh, in, along the way, the idea of a, locally, uh, of a local equivalent or a local version of the Federal Housing Choice Voucher Program that we funded and controlled locally, that idea came up, and uh, Kyle, I believe, requested to have it put on the agenda for the next meeting, which was last month, which we didn't have, so now it's on the agenda for this meeting. Um, I thought I'd, you know, give, give Kyle the opportunity first to, to say anything else by way of an introduction, but after that, this is a very, you know, I mean, it's an open topic right now. Uh, we can take no action at all. We can write a letter to council advocating for such a program. We can write a letter to council ad advocating for a different program. We can do some action not listed. Uh, we also have the bylaws here, which, which note that we can form a subcommittee to study the issue and decide later. That's another option. So it's 
wide range. And, and you know, Kyle, I thought I'd give you a chance to say a bit more about it, and then hopefully we can uh, yeah, narrow yeah. down what we want to do. As Matt mentioned, I mean, the discussion is in there, and Steve can speak on it, I'm sure, when he gives his presentation, which is, which is, I would say, Housing Authority. I mean, gives out every amount of voucher money they get. Um, however, we still have a backlog of hundreds of families who are on the voucher waiting list, who, I, I mean, may never see, <laughs> may never see a housing choice voucher uh, because it simply isn't more federal funds that come in, uh, you know, at, at the drop of a hat. Um, the reason I brought it up is, is for those of you who are familiar that, that the city is creating this fund from fee in lieu of housing from developers. Um, you know, there's a lot of developers that, uh, because of the 30% AMI requirement, they're never gonna be able to, to profit or effectively afford building projects at 30% AMI. So, uh, I mean, it, I believe Next, you know, Next had to get a $200,000 HCGAC chunk thrown at them in order to pay off two of their units at 30% in order to bring it up to 60. So. So the city has been collecting this funds, and we asked at a pre I asked at a previous meeting if we as HCDC were going to be part of the discussion factor of what those funds were going to be used for. Um, I was kind of told as of right now that that's, that wasn't in the cards for us, um, but I felt like it is our responsibility under the bylaws. It's the reason we were created, which is to give the city direction on where we think um, available funds for affordable housing, A, where they come from and where they go. And so as part of the discussion that Steve brought up to us, which is there is this crazy amount of families who need HTV vouchers who are never gonna get off that wait list, or, or, or maybe they do two or three or four years down the road. What if either the funds from the, lead, the fee in lieu of money that's getting put together or taking money from the HTJ the housing task force budget, which kind of is almost acting as just a CDBG similar kind of fund that we fund, but to use that money for a local voucher program, something that community or uh, you know what our current single source provider has been doing a great job of getting other local funds to tenants right now with ICHA would help get into the hands of families who are on those wait lists to get into affordable housing that does exist in Iowa City right now. I mean, there, there are two bedroom units and one bedroom units and a handful of, of larger properties in a town that used to never see vacancy rates that see vacancy rates up to double digits now. I mean, you can drive down Burlington and see four rent signs left and right. You can go to any of the property management companies' websites or Facebook Marketplace and see that there are places available to rent at that 60% AMI number, or even 80% AMI number, but there just aren't people with vouchers that are available to move into and rent those affordable housing. That, those, those housing units that are affordable. Um, so that is where I brought it up at the meeting after Steve had given his presentation, and so that is uh, why it's on the agenda tonight. I mean, I guess I, I, I have a question for you, Kyle, which is, I mean, do you see a, a do you have a recommendation going forward, like how, do you, do you think there are some issues here that still need to be further studied, are we, are we ready to, to make a specific recommendation, or, 
Well, I would love, I mean, I, I, I would assume Steve was going to talk on it tonight. I mean, I would love to hear what Steve's thoughts are. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously we're not policymakers in this room. I mean, we are, I mean, policy maybe motivators, I guess is the best term. Um, yeah, I, yeah, so. <laughs> Should I get closer to a microphone? Yeah, feel free to sit here. Well, I have a question on, on the fund that you talked about. Um, that's um, in, the fund in, the fee in lieu of, lieu of housing from developers. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it's not being used right now. Is that is that what I understand? That's what I understood that you said. Through Front Crossings District, uh, people can buy out of the affordable housing requirement. Um, I think nine units. We have about seven eight hundred thousand in the fund right now. There is a project we're potentially seeing about with the partnership with the county, but nothing's, but that's where we, the funds that you're raised in the Riverfront Crossings District have to only be used in the Riverfront Crossing District. We can't use those funds outside the district. And then the funds that we've generated from the Tailwinds, the PLU from a TIF project, um, they paid us 1.8 million. We turned around, we bought 16, eight duplexes on the South District for the South district affordable homes program that costs us about 1.52 million so th those are the funds that we have but they're not they don't come in it's not like you're always going to have them year to year so once we have that project if we partner with the county we're going to use all our funds at that point so then it has to start over so it's not a we can't rely on it like let's say we need 600 a million dollars a year we don't know because as, as the riverfront crossing develops we, at some point, we won't get as much development and we won't have that fee. And then we do have 90, oh gosh, 60 to 90 units. I can't remember how much is TIF or Riverfront Crossings of on site. So developers, for the most part, are choosing to do on site affordable housing. Only a few choose the fee in lieu. But if you choose the fee in lieu, that's $112,000 per unit approximately that you have to pay into the fund. Okay. I think only nine units have been fee in lieu. Okay. In the Riverfront Crossings. Yeah. It's different because tax pay for. There's different cuts of money for different things. So just clarification, I did not come with a presentation. <laughs> um, just to be, you know, uh, uh, some technical guidance, if you will. Um, just another clarification, the, the issue with the waiting list is not the money, it's the number of vouchers. So we have a budget authority that we cannot exceed, but we also have a unit-based authority that we cannot exceed. So we converted 24 of our 1,215 vouchers to Cross Park Place for persons that are chronically homeless with a disabling condition. So that leaves us in the, the regular Housing Choice Voucher Program, 1,191 vouchers. Now, it doesn't matter that we have close to $9 million to spend this year, we can't exceed that 1191. Well, and plus the HUD bash vouchers are part of that unit count, which is another 95. So the issue is not the money, the issue is we can't overlease for 12, 12 months. Um, and we also have preference categories on the waiting list, and, and Kyle's correct. I mean, there are people in Cedar Rapids, unless they move down here or get a job down here, are never going to come to the top of the waiting list. 
You know, same thing with the remainder of Iowa and basically the remainder of the country because we have a residency preference. So within that residency preference, we have about 1,400, 1,500 applicants. And we turn over about 130 vouchers a year. So that's the real reason that the waiting list has grown. It's just the, the length of stay over the last few years has increased. I mean, typically, we would have 66% of the program stay five years or less. And now that's, you know, that, that number has, has shrunk a bit. So, so that is the issue, is just the number of vouchers that we have, not the money. You know, the other issue are all the HUD regulations and how we have to, you know, treat people on that, that waiting list. So, again, that's, that's just a big clarification in terms of the number of vouchers and the money. Units, budget. I would recommend, if it's something you want to look into, then maybe committee, because this is not something, it's not one and done. You're, you're going to, to operate this program, you can't have somebody get assistance for a year and then boot them off if there's no funds that next year, because that creates a, an issue in itself. So you really want to look for something that, it, as a commission, you don't have to find that, but you have to basically say, okay, you know, in order to run this program for 50 people or 100 individuals, we're going to need this amount of money per per year, and then have that to give that to staff, city administration, figure out is that something we can prioritize? That's something council wants to find every year to fund that, and about how many, um, even the staffing. If you if it's a Section 8 program, it's very highly complex. It's it's income certifications. It's reporting your income. If a nonprofit were to do it, maybe a nonprofit could administer it with less money. But then, do you have all those rules? Do you just basically say, okay, if you qualify? We're going to give you 300 bucks a month to take off rent. That's a much different program than adjusting it for everybody's changes in income throughout the year for however long. So I think there's a lot of things to think about if you want to proceed with that recommendation. Yeah, it, Tracy brings up a good point. It's, you know, it's equity versus equality. I mean, you can, you can take every family, whether they're a family of 10 or a family of one, and just say, you know, you're going to get $300 a month. The, the Housing Choice Voucher Program is, is set up more for equity in that you're taking into consideration the household composition and the household income. So you have, you know, maybe two families with four people in there, but they all qualify for different, you know, rents and units depending on how much income is in that household. So it's, it's, it's really set up that everybody is under the same guidelines and getting an equitable uh, a subsidy based on their income and family size. But, you know, the easiest thing, you know, to do would be just say, you know, if you qualify for whatever program, we're going to give you $200, $500, or whatever. So I agree with Tracy. I mean, you know, if you're going to have a nonprofit run it, what's that going to look like? You know, if you're going to have the housing authority run it, I can tell you what it's going to cost. Um, and and it, Brianna had given me, I think, um, through the first round with community, there were 89 households. First round shelter house, 64 households. And second round shelter house, there was no total yet. So I took the 153, and based upon our per unit costs, which through what month is this, August? So through July, 
our per unit cost per voucher is $533.46. So that 153 families would be $81,000 a month or $82,000 a year. And then the staff, a year. Uh, because you take the 81 per month, multiply it by 12. By 153? No, it's 153 times the per unit cost okay. gives you one month. Yeah. And then that's, so that's 81, 82,000. Then you take that 82,000, multiply it 12 months. Yeah, that would go to the total? Uh, 81, um, no, excuse me, yeah, 12 months, 979,000 dollars. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, it's close to a million dollars that you would need for those 153 families. And then a housing program assistant salary and benefits in the first year, it's like 78. And then right now on the pay plan, it's going to top out at 94. So, you know, you're roughly going to need about $2 million a year to serve 153 families at that per unit cost. So that can be kind of sobering because as Tracy mentioned, where's that revenue gonna come in every year? And if you're only funding something, you know, out of the, what is it, the ARP funds? Mm -hmm. You know, sure the city got 18 million, but how long does that last? And what do you do? If you, if you serve a family for five years, what do you do when the money's gone? So I think we won't get four years to spend it. Four, okay. I'd have to verify that. Like you, you don't get it's a certain time frame to spend it. Yeah. So so I mean I guess there are there are a couple of there are a couple of aspects here. I mean one one is if, if the action were to uh, if the action were to write some sort of letter to the Council or to do some sort of advocacy to the council, there's the question of how specific we would want to be. I mean there's a very broad general way that that would elicit really no opposition at all, which would, you know, uh, we'd say uh, we would write a letter or, or advocate for spending some amount of American rescue funds on uh, affordable housing of some kind. That, that, that's, you know, our broadest, most general thing that we could do. And if we did that, um, you know, I mean, I suspect that would be received fairly well, but it would be non-specific and, and it might not uh, uh, address the issue, or we can zoom in very, very narrowly, where we we advocated for a local healthy choice voucher program, and we said exactly how it was going to be funded from now until the end of time. Um, but I mean, that would require a pretty deep research project, and I don't think we're um, we're there, you know, or we can do something in between. Uh, uh, kind of what, one thing I'd like to do, especially while Steve's here, is, is to maybe poke at what what's might be the good and bad ideas. I mean, you you administer uh, um, what is fundamentally a two-part program is the housing choice voucher part and there's public housing part. I've, um, uh, personally, I'm more interested in the public housing part, but I think that there are legal limits to exactly how large a city's yeah. public housing program could be, and, and you're not that far from them, I think. We're 13 away. Yeah. So, so uh, a law that said, or, or a program that, that expanded public housing from 80 some odd units to 8,000 some odd units just wouldn't be legal. No, no, the, the, the Iowa City Housing Authority cannot exceed 99 public housing units, and that, that's federal law. Uh -huh. um, well, that's going to throw up my other, my other discussion. Okay. 
So, um, so, so let's just walk through this a little bit uh, since I just finished this for Brianna today. So we've got the 1,191 housing choice vouchers. Then we have 95 hut bash vouchers, which is for homeless veterans. We then have 78 mainstream vouchers, which is for chronically homeless with a disabling condition. We got 69 vouchers for emergency housing vouchers, which is chronically homeless or about to become homeless. And then we had the 24 that we converted at Cross Park Place. That 1,191 will get reduced because we've committed 36 of those for Cross Park Place. Well, I guess it's the different name now. 501. 501. So, so we've added basically close to 160 vouchers in the last year, since March of, of 20. So in terms of the Housing Authority taking on any other program, right now we're at our capacity. We have five housing program assistants. Each one of them has a caseload of 300. So we're not really in a position to run a new program unless we hire another staff person. But then again, I'm not really interested. How do we, how do we you know, if you have somebody for four years, you know, you tell them your job's going to be four years and you tell the family it's going to be four years. So those are things that take into consideration, I think. And I, and I agree with Tracy. It's, it's, it, it probably would be, a, you know, sort of a committee to, you know, work with, with city staff to come up with, you know, potential options. Yeah, and I will say from my standpoint, when you say 150, I guess I wasn't even thinking those numbers. I was thinking, what if we can help 30 more families directly? What if we can help even 50 families directly? I guess that's, that's where I'm coming from. I, mean, I guess I'm coming from a, what can we do within the confines of the funds that we can use? I mean, you know, like I said, I, that's why I brought it up. I mean, let's be honest, the, the, the funds themselves have not been the most visibly reported out. There seems to be a constant question from every source I talk to at the city as to exactly how much we have and where what can be spent and what, you know. So there's already that question. So in the end, the question just comes down to what do we have? What can, how can we use it for some kind of direct voucher system? And if that helps, I mean, honestly, it helps 10 families. If we only have $50,000 and it can help 10 families for two years, to me, that's 10 families for two years. That's still cheaper than going out and buying 10 units, you know, buying 10 houses to put people in, you know, and, and you, you absolutely do have landlords, private landlords or property managers in this town that do work with the housing choice voucher and are happy to get $300 towards rent if that means that they can get a place rented to a family who can't quite afford 800 on their own. So that's where I'm coming from. I, I mean, you know, 150 would be great if we had an extra two million a year in budget, but I, I'm also guess just trying to figure out, maybe this is a good question for the HCDC, or for, I'm sorry, the, the Housing Steering Committee, which is, you know, in the affordable housing distribution model, in addition to that risk mitigation fund, you know, because I absolutely would love to see that as a priority on, on that side, but, you know, maybe that needs to be part of that discussion as well, which is, 
what monies are going to be available when they start releasing from these on-term projects. You know, the fact of the matter is people are still going to keep developing in Iowa City. I mean, we are still going to see 10 more years of developers coming in. And as long as we keep it at that 30% AMI model, we are going to have people to do fee and lieu up. We're going to. Because it's not affordable for a developer. It is, especially for the cost of materials now, it's almost impossible to do 30% AMI units and still make a profit on a project. So they're going to do it. In, they're going to do fee and lieu. It's sixty percent for the riverfront crossings and, and tips. So, right, some of them are, but others have had the thirty percent requirement as well as the sixty percent requirement. Those are for light tech. Yep. Okay. Uh, so. Yeah. But even at sixty percent, you can have some developers who just yeah, know that they can. Construction to hit that. Yep. Right. So, I just see I see continual funds coming into the city. I see us continuing to have this money that. So far, the city hasn't really come to us and said, well, where is your direction on that? Which is, to me, the job of this committee as a public volunteer citizen committee is to help direct city staff and city administration as to where those money should go. You know, we haven't been asked. We haven't been part of that conversation yet. And I thought this is a good way to become part of that conversation. Well, and I think you bring up the AMI, that, that's, another, that's another decision point. Because right now, the Housing Choice Voucher Program is basically 50% of the law. Yeah. Public housing is 80% of the law. Home funds are 60% of the law. So, you know, uh, you know is, it, is it targeting more people at 30% or is it targeting people at 50%? Or, you know, I mean, you know, really, I, I, you know, I don't know where the need is. I know we few years ago we, we discussed adding as another preference category persons 55 and older but we really couldn't come up with any data to support you know that that was that that was a need so there, there's a lot of factors that come into play I think Becky wants to jump in you can tell my I keep opening my mouth even though I, I have <laughs> one question the affordable housing steering committee is that the affordable housing coalition or is this different no, those are uh, different things. In fact, their next agenda item, Peter is going to talk about the steering committee. But okay, uh, well, special. but I don't want to get started. I do have another uh, question. I, I just was um, not sure if that was for the Housing Coalition. Um, so I believe they um, So, uh, you know, my work in nonprofit, I've never been a housing expert. That's, that, um, you know, uh, was not anything that I did. I, I uh, There are plenty in our community, and, and you know, we have... Um, somebody in the pub, public right now that's um, um, an expert as far as I can um, tell but um, as far as I'm concerned um, so but when we um, were when nonprofit agencies were developing the um, agency impact coalition and um, advocating for more funds one of the things that we talked about a lot was bringing nonprofit sector together um, into the community, to into the city processes to start um, getting their expertise. I like the idea of um, getting some sort of committee together uh, to study this more, to figure out what kind of information we have, what kind of information we need, what do we need to get. But I also want to hear from our nonprofits um, because um, you know, there's a lot of expertise in our community. Um, we go to them when need be. I, I think that they'd be a valuable resource um, to this, a valuable partner in this. And so 
that I have a, uh, I'm always going to be an advocate for bringing nonprofit um, voices into the discussion and let's hear from them and partner with them to get some information. If we were to create a subcommittee, would that be, would that be open to invite members of the public and others or would it have to be just made of members of our committee? I have to confess that I have never heard of this uh, commission ever creating a subcommittee. <laughs> I haven't either, but I'm also wondering the relationship between this and the Affordable Housing Steering Committee. Right. With two things kind of going parallel. Who is on the Affordable Housing Committee? Peter is on the Yeah, committee. but and who else? And how is it? How? Um, how? Who controls it uh, under one entity? <laughs> <laughs> Since it wasn't made as a subcommittee of us, which is weird. Tracy controls it? Yeah, the city council wanted to, oh sorry, I'm Tracy Heisen, the Neighborhood Development Service Director. Um, I'm here, Erica Cooley's on maternity leave coming back next week, so I'm here as Erica. But the Affordable Housing Steering Committee started with the council wanting to update our Affordable Housing Action Plan. So they wanted a group, a cross-section of folks knowledgeable about housing. So there's a 12 committee member. Um, they meet once a month. They've been meeting since February. Uh, Peter is on that committee. Um, so is Chrissy. Um, they could probably, I'd be hard pressed to name all 12 of them right now, but Sarah Barron's on the committee. Um, Ryan Wade, Mark Sines. Heath from Habitat. Heath from Habitat. Simon Andrew from the Housing Fellowship. Jessica Andino, um, she's on the Human Rights Committee. And the Home Builders, Melissa. Sounds like a good section. And we're yeah, it's a cross-section of different, and they meet once a month, and they're looking at, um, and Peter's going to give an update, I think, the next the next one. But they're looking at, and they're looking at recommendations, and part of their work is at the end of this, there's a committee that will give recommendations for housing for people at 0 to 30%, 31 to 60, and then 60 to 100%. Uh, so they'll be working on that. They just started working on that. And, and, and did the city council develop that committee? City council directed staff to put that committee okay. together. And so. so it sounds like if we wanted to develop something here, that would be the recommendation we'd make is, to, is for the city council to put something together. Is that true? They could, but I don't know if they put another affordable housing committee. Um, I've staffed HCDC for, oh God, I've been in city 20 years. And there has been times that the commission has have like a working group, like a smaller that, that's not a quorum. And if they've asked other members to give input, they have. Um, they just can't have a quorum, so you can't have five of you. Um, so like if two or three of you want to start a subgroup and you want some input from other folks, you can do that. That's not a problem. And, and we can do that either formally or, or informally. Yeah. I mean, we can officially create a subcommittee by vote or uh, two people can come together and flesh out an idea and uh, put it on the agenda. That's, that's those are yeah, as I recall, possibilities. Subcommittees have reviewed the scoring criteria over time. Yeah. I mean, HDDC has formed subcommittees for various things throughout okay. the years. Yeah, you just can't have four. Okay. Right. So I mean, I, I guess uh, uh, well, while you're while you're here, Steve, another question. Uh, uh, there, there has been a. And now this isn't public housing. There, there, there's a there's another form where there's been discussion of the city purchasing, uh, uh, typically in the context of manufactured home uh, parks, but it could be done in principle anywhere, and turning it over to say a resident co-op or something like that. That that is that is also possible. 
possibility, is it not? Yeah, I think the Affordable Housing Coalition, uh, didn't they form a committee that explored that very thing? That I don't know. I mean, there's, yes, if, if the political of the council tells us to do it, we'll do it. <laughs> is it that, that's the question. Yeah, yeah, I think they have. Or they, we will find the staff uh, or council appropriates additional money for staff. If, if the political will is there and that's what they vote for, then we accommodate what what their desire or what they vote and approve. Yeah, I, I think, because I remember uh, Tracy Mulcahy, the assistant city manager in North Liberty, um, was part of that subcommittee uh, with the Affordable Housing Coalition when we were talking about creating this task force, if you will. And I believe that trailer park in North Liberty was sold for like $12 million. But one of the things Tracy said was for the city of North Liberty to put the infrastructure in, that probably would have cost them like another $24 million or something that, you know, something. It was a large amount of money in order to get that up to city code if they in fact purchased it. But that, that was discussed and I think Steve Gordon and some other people were on. It, that would be a Sarah Barron question. Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure where that all ended up. If the question is, can the city buy housing but not put in our public housing? Right. Yes, we can do that. Because you do that with the university program now, right? Those aren't going into your public housing numbers. No, no. We, right. we buy those, renovate it, and then we sell it. Right. Um, same with the South District program. Right. We buy, renovate it, and we sell it to income eligible households. Mm -hmm. Another way you can do that if it's not the city is like any affordable housing provider that's a nonprofit, when you allocate money to them, that's almost permanent affordable housing because they have a, their mission is affordable housing. So as long as you're allocating money to those types of organizations, we, we consider that almost permanent affordable housing. I mean, my, my sense is that kind of the, the where we are, if we wanted to do something on the broader end, if we wanted to just advocate money for uh, affordable housing, even with a bit, uh, a bit narrower focus than that, uh, affordable housing in a particular direction, we, we seem to be well positioned to do that. I mean, we could you'd write a letter on that this week or, or next week, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't feel as though we're ready to, to zoom in on a specific program if we wanted to go that route. It seems like there's more work that that would need to be done before we did that. So if we wanted to, uh, if we wanted some people to get together to study you know, local housing choice vouchers versus some other idea, um, I, it feels to me like we could we could do that, but, but we would need to put together a group to to work on it rather than rather than advocate for it now. I, that's just my impression, though. I, I also want to give everybody else an opportunity to to jump in. So here's a question, a task force like that, if it's two or three of us, is that something that we can invite, like uh, the Sarah Cohn, the Sarah, uh, Baron. Sarah Baron, thank you. I mean, if a couple of people get together and work on something, you can invite whoever you want. You know. I mean, you can invite city council if you, when you want to. I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's no Well, not all of them. Not, not okay. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, in principle, you can invite anyone. I mean. It would be nice because there's different groups all all pursuing kind of the same things right now. So the Affordable Housing Steering Committee hopes to have the recommendations to council this fall. And those type of recommendations that you make, you know, like housing recommendations for zero to 30%, 31% to 60%, whatever, that'd be nice to have so that the Affordable Housing Steering Committee can get some of your recommendations. And so when they're making that recommendations to council, so that's more I than one voice. Can I ask a quick, why are, 
I find ACDC's role in this as somewhat a slap in the face that this affordable housing steering committee was put together. And, and even on their list of the items is oversight on us. And they're basically doing the role for which ACDC was created and commissioned in the first place. It seems weird that it's an end around this group of people who have volunteered their time and you know accepted a commission to sit on this commission that the affordable housing task force is seemingly taking much of our roles away and doing an end around from this commission to report directly to the city. So if it's, if it's okay, Carl, I think uh, if it's all right with you, I, I'd like to move that. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. Debate because I think I'm probably going to agree with you and take a fight, <laughs> fight along the way of that. But, um, but I, I feel like we should wait for the discussion of the that's fine. steering committee. I, I do want to give uh, uh, anyone who hasn't spoken yet an opportunity to, to jump in. Yeah, I do have a question for Steve as a general guidance about this proposal that we are going to enact. Uh, how many votes are you are going to propose? Or it's too early to say. I, I would say it's it's too early to say. I mean, I you know I I took a look at you know the community and shelter house, the number of people served. You know, Kyle's brought up, you know, several different numbers. I, I think that's that's all part of the discussion is like how much money's available and you know what can that serve? How many, you know, if, if the money's available for four years, how many families can we back into that four years? If another nonprofit is going to run the program for the city or, or whatever, you know, what's the admin cost going to be? So I, I, I think, you know, I think the number of people you want to serve is going to be dependent upon how much money can actually be right. brought to bear on it. And, you know, what other recommendations are there for, you know, the various groups? Like maybe, are they going, how high are they going on AMI? For what? For the Affordable Housing Steering Committee? Oh, they're 100%. 100%. So, yeah, at the upper end, there might be some home ownership recommendations where at the lower end, it's some kind of, kind of rental assistance or yeah. utility assistance or something that's, you know, helping that family with their bottom line. Also, who's going to run this project? Is it non-profit organization? Sorry, what was the question? Yeah, who's, who's going to run this program? proposal? We don't know. Are you talking about like a, if council wants to fund something or if you make a recommendation for something, that would have to be determined. Um, so we are going to include that on our proposal, correct? Well, I think that if we were going to, if we were going to make a proposal, that's one of the, the questions we'd have to decide. Do we want to, uh, do we want to advocate that any particular group run it, or, or do we want to leave it open? And, and I think that's one of the issues we still need to work out. It'd probably be a reason, one reason to put together a um, work group of some kind. Because I mean, there, there are a lot of different ways in, in, in potential that it could be, it could be run. And I, I think it's just the recommendation that, you know, if, if this committee recommends they want to have some type of ongoing rental subsidy program, you'd say what the intent was, and then it'd be up to council and administration to figure out how that, get, how that can best work. 
Is it the city hiring staff? Is it the city procuring a nonprofit to do it? So I think your your recommendation would just be to, this is what you would like to see, this is a, the level that you'd like to see it to, and then, then staff and council figure out the details. I think the other thing to consider is, you know, how are you going to reach out for applicants? I mean, who's who? You know, who's the target audience? That's, that's another big thing. And how are you going to bring them in and let them know this program is available? Um, it, it's not necessarily people coming off our waiting list because there's, you know, there's some HUD regulations and guy. I mean, people have applied to our waiting list to get a voucher off of that waiting list and. I don't know that we can take people off that waiting list if there's not a guarantee that at some point we have the capacity to convert them to right. a regular voucher. Whether that's a housing choice voucher, mainstream emergency or, or whatever. But but again, I mean we're just I mean we're just how many EHBs? I forgot how many we, we've already got emergency housing vouchers that are leasing up. Our mainstream, we have uh, 78 of those who are now up to 45 that are leased up. And that's a very difficult population when you're talking about chronically homeless with a disabling condition. And uh, our VASH numbers are, are somewhat down a little bit uh, because of the VA's capacity to make referrals. So, so again, we've got, you know, we've got some emerging opportunities with Shelter House and the VA that we're not completely 100% tapped into yet. And I'm okay with us not making a recommendation. I, I absolutely don't think we're in a position to to know exactly what we want. Um, I, more importantly, I just, I mean, I was hoping that this would at least get some kind of conversation going. Um, I would happily sit down with a couple members, you know, either, you know, once, once a month in the next couple months or every couple weeks for the next couple months and sit down and really try to, I don't know, uh, I guess uh, thought board, promise board, hope board, throw some things to the wall and see what we think might be. I mean, as you said, Tracy pointed out, I mean, as a committee, all we can do is whisper in the ear of, of city council and say, hey, can you have Brianna look at this? I mean, that's, that's what we're doing with our recommendations. I mean, um, so if we can get two or three things down and just say, we would like a regular report from the city as to what kind of funds they see coming available from these other sources we've not had in the past. And here are the three things that we feel they could be, those funds could be most efficiently used for. Can you have staff look into how to make that work and, and what they think the, I mean, I think that would be the goal. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is, uh, I mean, it seems like a good idea. And you know, if you want to put a couple of People together to, to talk about it and work out uh, work work out a, a little bit of it. You know, then you'd be able to decide where to go next. I mean, you could always uh, circulate a letter, or if you think it's something that that um, would benefit from official HCDC endorsement, then we could go that route uh, too. Maybe again. Uh, do we have any other uh, any other input on on uh, item seven? Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Thanks for correcting me. <laughs> <laughs>
Anyone doesn't think it's that cheap? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, just, I forgot I had my reader, so I was kind of <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care. So I think we'll pause here and loop back around and get some of the items we missed. So uh, we have. Do you want Megan to, re to introduce herself to the new people since she got to oh, the yeah. part? Oh, yeah. Megan, uh, why don't you introduce yourself with name, <laughs> pronoun, and a brief word about yourself for our new, uh, new members? Sure. Hi there. Welcome. I'm really glad to say hello. My name is Megan Alter. Um, I'm a commissioner. I'm fortunate enough to start my second term along with you guys. Oh, yeah. I forgot you technically are a new commissioner. Yeah. <laughs> new returning. The new old. <laughs> new old. So. I'm going to loop back to officer uh, nominations. So as, as, I'm, uh, as I'm sure you know, this commission has a chair and a vice chair. We currently have neither of those things right now. So uh, one of our tasks here is to elect a chair and a vice chair. I am merely our outgoing vice chair. Um, do we have any, I mean, I know that we, we take a vote, and I believe it's a roll call vote in public. but. Mm -hmm. Is there any special process I need to make sure I'm not missing? I don't think so. I think they just take nominations and then... I, I don't want to do the vice chair first and then just have it all be overthrown and, and uh, <laughs> you know, anything like that. Okay, good. And, and I believe the nominations are totally open. Anyone in this room can nominate, well, not, right. not, not you, but yeah. <laughs> commissioners can, can nominate any other commissioner, including themselves. I think so. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we'll start with the role of vice chair. Do we have any nominations for vice chair? I'll nominate Matt. You? I was going to nominate myself. I nominate me. <laughs> so we have a nomination of me, and we have a nomination of Megan. Can we all? Are we doing it one seat at a time, or? Are we also I had planned to do vice chair followed by chair. Okay. Okay. You can do either. I've seen it. I've seen people nominate both at once, and I've seen separate. So it doesn't. It's how are you going to proceed? Let, let's do a single single file. Do we do we have any additional nominations? Well, I guess do I? I would ask if anybody has an interest, a, a burning need to have it on their resume, and or just the pride of knowing you get to talk the most at meetings or the second most when the first most is gone. Does it mean, does anybody have that burning need? Well, I mean, the vice chair does not talk the most at meetings. This is very much- Unless, the, yeah, unless the, the chair's gone. <laughs> the, the, the vice chair talks or facilitates meetings only when the chair is, right. is absent. Right. And our, our chair is currently you know, off the commission and, and uh, a member of planning and zoning. So here I am. <laughs> I mean, I, I would argue that you two, I think, have the longest, correct? Yes. You I, guys are the I two longest serving currently. Right. So. I mean, I, I'm happy with either one of you filling either role or anybody else filling either role, to be honest. But. Do we need to can, can people turn down nominations? I suppose so, yeah. All right, I'd like to decline. Okay. Well, I move we close nominations then. 
Mara, I actually like to nominate you for chair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You've been a vice chair, and I think it's time for you. I did nominate him for chair. Oh, I thought you said vice. No, oh, I no. thought you nominated me. No, for I nominated. No, I, I nominated him for chair. So. Oh, oh well, it's yeah. time for you to move up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think so too. I believe in secession. Yeah. So. Well, well, I, I appreciate that, but I, I feel like I shouldn't overturn my, my previously set procedure and, and, and then, and then uh, be elected chair. I mean, then, then I would be, I would be um, stealing the election. So we'll, we'll, we'll go vice chair first, and Megan is the only uh, nominee unless... I move that we close nominations. <laughs> so give me a second. Second. <laughs> so we'll, um, we're, we're role calling this. Like so I'll start with, with Peter. What are we doing? I suppose you're voting yes or no on, on, on Megan since Megan is resolution for Megan being vice president, right? <laughs> uh, I support Megan. Okay, I support Megan. What, what am I, I? I'm sorry, I didn't hear. You're, you're voting on vice chair uh, Megan. Megan, I support. Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> Megan. Yes. Not there. Yes, I support. So Megan is our is our vice chair. Woo! And do we have any nominations for, for chair? Well, we'll uh, if, if you'd like to I, I nominate you. I'm sorry, I thought we were nominating chair before. That that was my nomination for you to be chair. Uh, I'll second that nomination. Do, do we have, do we have any other second. nominations? I'm good. I burned my resume, so... All right, well, one, unless Caleb is planning a coup right yeah. now. Can I, can I make mind, he's ready. <laughs> one, comment. <laughs> <laughs> one comment is that it's not necessarily that it has to follow in succession. However, there's a yeah. lot of sense to it, right? Yeah, it, so, it is purely uh, purely chosen tradition. Any any person yeah. in the room is eligible I mean, for, for the chair role. There was a time earlier in my first tenure where that wasn't the case. They, they switched over to new people altogether. So just sort of like for future reference, you know, that that's always a possibility as well. Yeah. That said, I also heartily support you becoming chair. We, we, we've had kind of a convention of someone in their second year becoming vice chair, someone in their third year chair, but we, we never have to, we never have to do that. A, um, a first year person could become chair that mm -hmm. is, that as well. Oh, we're watching both of you this year. We'll let you know. <laughs> Regime change has to happen. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll start with, with Peter. We're voting on, on um, me for chair. Yes. I'm voting for you as a chair. Caleb. I support Matt. Matt, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I will vote for myself as well. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. So I do not have to uh, turn over the facilitator role. <laughs> that that would be a scary part of um, being chair your first year. This would be the point where you would have to now become the facilitator. Jump in. Yeah, no, no way. Uh, I would have been kind of scared to facilitate my first meeting of the HCDC. <laughs> so I believe we've got the unsuccessful and delayed projects update. Uh, I, I feel like we, we don't have Pastor Smith either in person or, or on the mm -hmm. Video, right? That's true. Should I follow up either with a written update or we can postpone? Is that acceptable? It's almost to the point where it's pressing. It'll be pressing. Really, there's nothing you can, if you were to recapture funding right now, nothing would happen. Mm -hmm. 
but when you get those August 30th applications, and we don't know who's going to apply, we don't know how much they're going to apply for, that's when you need to make a decision. Um, that's when you decide if, if it's not going to proceed and you have these applications that we, we can fund right now, is if you're going to recapture that and that reallocate it. Um, you also have the second opportunity in December. Um, you'll be having your regular CBG round uh, where applications will be due. Our concern is just timeliness. Um, after a year, we start getting, especially for a CDBG public facility project, if it's out there for a year and they have not bid it, then the work, we have a lot of red flags of staff going off. And so we need to get that to a project that someone can spend the money now and proceed. Um, well, just so it's on the record, so in case he listens to this or gets a note, I will say, I mean, I, I was one of the commissioners who pushed for that extension of time with the understanding he was going to meet with mm -hmm. Rhiannon and staff and learn how to get online and get that. But we are at the point that we're three months, four months, whatever it's been long. And if no more activities coming by, at this point, work should have been completed. And I am of the opinion that the, if that doesn't happen by August 30th, I, I mean, I will be in support of using those funds for a new applicant who is willing to use those funds as intended. Can I ask a question? Um, did New Creation provide an update? What, what's a, is there anything um, since what I read in the, the packet of information? Since then, no. The last items that unfolded were, um, when I talked to him most recently, he was working on bidding out the project. There were some concerns of increased construction costs but there is no construction contract to date and no funds have been drawn. So this project was FY21, so we're a year past when this would have been underway. Well, I also read that he didn't have a DUNS number. Did, was, did that get settled? That did, that got settled after our last meeting. Okay. And we were supposed to revisit this earlier, but there were some changes in the summer HCDC schedule, so. And, and at that meeting, I was under the impression from his presentation at that meeting that that was the only thing holding him up, that he had people ready to begin work. And so the fact that you did work with him to get that events number, but yet here we're, I mean, it's been how many months now? Yeah. And, and, and the fact that it hasn't even gotten bid out is worrisome to me. Does the project need to get bid out? Does he need multiple bids because it's under yes, the federal procurement standards? Yes. I did read though that he already had a contract. Did that, did that mean that he had bid the project out and gotten multiple bids on it? He bid once. Technically, it's went out twice already. He bid once, and there was the wrong Davis-Bacon wage requirements in the packet, so it had to be bid again. And then there were concerns of I haven't seen the bids. I need. Typically, when we do a bidding process, I'll turn in a bid tabulation, and that has not been submitted to me, so I haven't seen that yet. But he had called and asked about potentially rebidding or changing the scope of work because of increased construction costs. But there has not been a third bid or a construction contract or anything. Okay. There's no immediate burning fire if we do this next month. No, because um, when, when we come to you in September for, we'll have the applications that we received through your mid-year funding round. At that point, you can basically say, okay, we, you're going to see all the other applications, and if you, will, if you need those funds, you can fully fund. You can make that decision then. Well, so will notification, essentially, of to Pastor Smith about your own timeline is shrinking fast. Is that... Is there going to be a specific, explicit communication with him 
or will he learn it by way of this meeting? I think it's up to you guys what you're wanting to see, but just given the short window to the next meeting, I guess having clear expectations yeah. on what you're expecting. I, I think it would be good to communicate with him to, to let him know mm -hmm. so that Transparency and, and it's all above board as opposed to like, well, here's the meeting. We talked about it. I think yeah. a communication would be good. I I think I'd like to have a. Um, I'd like to know. Does he have a contractor hired? Does he have the bid out? Or give him a date. Um, and if not, then we'll pull the funds back. I think we need some really hard. I'm supporting yeah. what you're saying, Megan. Um, I'm just. Which I think is why he was invited to come tonight to present. And yeah, he did not make it. So, yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm, I agree. Because I'm not in favor of coming back next month, reviewing applications, and saying I'd rather take that money do this, because he may have started with somebody. Um, we, we can give clear direction. We can send him a letter, and, and Brianna will communicate with them, basically saying, You have a month to get these things secured. If it's not done within a month, then we may reallocate the funds. I mean, we could. Give that direction. Can we give the direction of, uh, by the time yeah, the yeah, packet comes out so that we have clear understanding? I, I'd like it so that by the time the packet goes out to us that we have clear understanding of where we are with it. Um, I don't want to come to a meeting with Pastor Smith and applications and <laughs> I can see that not being uh, very good. So that's what I would like is prior to whenever, Brianna, you'll send it a week ahead of time. So yeah, he essentially would have about three weeks. Are you looking for a construction contract to be in place or are you looking at funds to be drawn kind of thing, just looking at a realistic timeline? Well, I read everything pretty carefully a number of times and it looked to me, um, you know, I've been there, done this. I mean. I could share my story for my very first project too, but you learn really quickly and you get it together. And um, so he should, based on what I read, he did have a contractor. Um, so I'd like to see at least uh, construction started um, by a certain time. That would be my propose, my, my proposal. Because if he's got somebody started, uh, hired, he should be able to get everything started. I mean, this has been, what, a couple of months since the June meeting, right? So this has been quite a while. Was it June or earlier than that? I, I think it was earlier than that. It was earlier than that. Okay. Two meetings canceled, yeah. Yeah. I want to say it was the March meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the March meeting was, yeah. it was the last, uh, the last yeah. uh, contact point. I mean, it's been five months since yeah. the DUN, DNI number, whatever, since that was the, the issue. only issue on the table, and he was he just couldn't get logged in, and. Brianna had said, you come to me next week and we will put it in and we'll get it figured out. And, and you, you did report back to us that he had yeah. gotten the number within the day or so, like it yeah, was, it was within right away. Right. But yeah, I mean, that was five months ago that, yeah. I mean, Bob the handyman could have drove up in his van and got it done by now, so yeah. <laughs> this is their second project too, not to beat a dead horse, but. Right. So, I mean, it seems like from the discussion, uh, what, what uh, the, the sentiment from the commission seems to be a stronger worded uh, letter, it seems like there, there would be a fair bit of support for uh, pulling the funds back uh, where, where people just simply have to make a decision right now. That's the vibe I'm getting from the yep. room. Okay. 
Is there a reason why he didn't show up today? I'm not for sure. When we talked last, he said he should be able to come, and I just said, hey, if he can't come, please give us a written update so we at least have something to give the commission, but I haven't heard anything. Yeah, I, I stick with my, I, I, you, you know, the next meetings, uh, is it September 16th? Is that the next yeah. meeting? Yes. So that would mean we'd be looking at maybe by what, the 9th? Somewhere around there. So he doesn't have a lot of time, but, and I'm not trying, I mean, I, I think the project is a great one, you know, we, um, the daycare. Um, is really needed so I like the project a lot but but um, it just sounds like he's had a lot of time the project has had a lot of time so I would really say a couple of weeks is I think what they have to get it together and get it started yeah. however the city staff is going to figure out how you're going to monitor that that would be my recommendation okay uh, if we were to pull the funds back does he have uh, an opportunity to apply again? Thank you, because like you were saying, yeah, yeah. your next year, fiscal year 23 round comes up in December, applications due in January, so yeah, there'll be another round to apply pretty soon. Sounds like we need more time to put this uh, project together, so maybe yeah. that might be an option for that. Yeah, I know oh. he's had some family and personal stuff going on too, so. Yeah, how we can hear from him? We need to give him chance until the next meeting or email us? Sounded like maybe a week before the next meeting, the 9th. Does that sound reasonable? Yeah, I, I support that, yeah. Becky's recommendation that he needs to have construction started, contractors on site doing work by September 9th in order for us not to release funds at the next meeting. I mean, I, I, could, I could second that uh, recommendation. contract in place by the next meeting or by the next By September 9th. Okay. That way you can put it in the packet that work has been started by the time we get the packet for the 16th. Okay. Kyle, are you moving? Uh, I was seconding Becky's oh, recommendation, right. yeah. But, yeah. but we got a second to my second, so yeah. that's good. <laughs> right. uh, in favor? Say aye. 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 Uh, opposed? Aye. We have a uh, unanimous in favor. Okay. So my goal will be to put the letter in the follow-up in the packet for you for September. Uh, along with an invitation to provide the, the update, I suppose. So that'll, just, that'll, okay. be, the, uh, that'll be an agenda item. Uh, we'll move on to number eight, uh, discussion of the Affordable Housing Steering Committee recommendations. Uh, a bit of a background as, as you, you paired Peter is on the Affordable Housing Steering Committee was, was giving us an update uh, last month that there were Zoom, uh, uh, Zoom difficulties and you have in your packet that update. And, um, you know, Peter, I thought I'd give you a chance to say, say a word about it if you'd like and we can have a discussion. Um. I think I share the uh, comments that came out of the uh, 
affordable housing steering committee uh, regarding H uh, CDC. And uh, as a member of the ACDC, I, I don't think I really wanted to involve myself in that discussion. I wanted to bring it up here so we can all uh, dissect it and see what, uh, how we can respond. Because I know they are waiting for a response uh, from uh, what they made. And again, these are recommendations. Um, it's their opinion, it's our opinion. I put myself in there even though I didn't really uh, take part into it, making this comment, but... Uh, what do you, uh, do you, is there expectation for a kind of official formal response or are we just going to have a discussion and then maybe give you some, some uh, things to... to uh, maybe Tracy can, can help me. Okay. What, what so do you think? The affordable housing, the steering committee looked at all um, affordable housing policies and funds that the city had. So it wasn't just HCBC, it was like South District program, it was the security deposit, it was every riverfront crossings. And so what the, there is a subcommittee from that group that chose to look at the policies more in depth after account, after staff went through each one. And this committee looked at certain things and there's, there's three things that they wanted, they basically, did provide a lot of comment about the other policies, but they did comment on the affordable housing location model. They commented on um, just the way recommendations for housing um, was made, and then the affordable housing distribution model. So those are the three things that the Affordable Housing Steering Committee, uh, that subgroup commented on. Tracy, excuse me, what was the first one? The affordable housing location model. They location? Huh? The affordable housing location model. Locate, okay. Yeah, so those are the three things out of all the different affordable housing programs and policies that the city had that they wanted to make a recommendation on. That goes back to the larger committee, because this was only a, a smaller subcommittee who made these recommendations. The larger committee won't look at it before they make any type of recommendation to council, but when they saw that some of the recommendations related to the Housing Community Development Commission, they wanted your input about their comments so that they can take that back to the larger group. And then the larger group can either say, we'll tweak it, we'll delete it, we'll add it, whatever. But they wanted some type of input from the Housing Community Development Commission. Uh, Peter, you say, is there anything else you wanted to, to highlight? Or? I don't know if everyone has uh, the uh, report that I sent. Uh, maybe you have it. Mm -hmm. Was was this all in the packet? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, the affordable yeah, uh, housing yeah. steering committee yeah. update. Yeah. The number eight. Yeah, number eight, yeah. You want me to read it or? You don't have to read it. I just didn't okay. know if you had it in front of you. Yeah. I, 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 I have it. Yeah. And we're just having some general discussion about how we feel about some of these items. Well, we, we need to give some form of feedback. Direction because, back. Uh, this, these, some of these recommendations will go to the city council and they would like input from us before uh, uh, they send off recommendations to check us. My, the first one, I, I have no problem with at all. I don't think the current affordable housing location model, I just don't think it works. I don't like the way it's currently trying to be directed to that new south side development. I don't. Uh, I don't have a big, I don't think it works with code-based zoning the way that, yeah, I just don't think it worked. I know, I know 
I have we've I've brought up some issues I have with the fact that you know that we do affordable housing everywhere else except these areas. I just think it's I just think it's bad. I don't either affordable housing is important for everybody everywhere in Iowa City or someone at the city level is getting to pick and choose where affordable housing happens. And I, don't, I just don't like it. So I'm, I'm fine with the first one. There's gotta be better ways. I don't know what they are, it's gotta be. The HCDC thing really rubbed me wrong. Um, first off, to restructure the process to prioritize staff recommendation and scores. Um, the first part, commission's review and ranking should be based on objective and established criteria, priorities and data, and staff scores should be included. I don't have a problem with staff scores being included. Um, I also don't feel that there's ever a way, I mean, I feel that we already use very well-established criteria, priorities, and data in our scoring system, but there is absolutely no way to make them completely objective. You're always going to have subjective opinions on what a score is based on, you know, upon variables for projects that are drastically different from each other. Well, to, to, that, to that point, I mean, there, there is a way to make completely objective. It, it, it would be to have a rubric that you follow uh, mindlessly. Right. Uh, the problem is that if I come up with a way to make it completely objective, where there is simply no, no question, uh, we would produce worse decisions. Uh, I mean, in, in the yeah. past, we, we have, we've That's taken, we've, we've always had a or we've had rubrics since I've, since I've turned the commission. I think we actually did not have a rubric uh, a couple of years prior. But um, we've had a rubric since I've joined the commission, and uh, we, we, we have followed it. Uh, we've, we've seen staff uh, scores at times, and the scores have been very, very valuable, but then sometimes additional information has, yeah. has come up, additional priorities. We, we've modified uh, the scores here and there, and as a result, we've made better decisions than we would have had we just straight uh, follow the rubric. Right. So I, I'm not convinced that making things significantly more objective than they are now would be better. I, and, and I also have it, of course, sorry, I, mean, I, I guess my other core is the whole prioritizing staff recommendations. What is the purpose of having a community-driven committee like ourselves if staff recommendations are always going to be the weighted scale? I, no offense to staff, I think they do an incredible job and generally 98% of the time, whether it's not just our committee, but committees across the board, generally direct towards what staff recommends. Why? Because of the professionals that put the data together for us, generally it makes sense. But it is, it is the closed closet roving versus, like it's those kind of discussions as a community that understands where we're coming from and representing like-minded members of our community that that makes a difference. If we're just prioritizing staff and we're prioritizing their scores, we shouldn't even have any input. At that point, why does it matter what we say? And I have I just have a real problem with the wording, I guess, of this focus of the of the housing task force that they that somehow, you know, we're not doing a good job in their eyes that that I guess maybe somebody feels that we're, we don't go along with staff enough. I, I really don't even understand where this recommendation came from. Um, but Megan, yeah, sorry. I was just, actually, to dovetail off of that, I, I'm curious about sort of where these impressions came from. Um, because actually, with these being open meetings and recorded, a lot of very authentic discussion, um, including some doubts and wonder within the commission about 
the rubric and about how we're applying it. All of that is public, and I think that that's important for transparency so that it is, you know, this is a difficult process and, and, and it appears at times messy, and I wonder if, in fact, some of the register from the steering committee was based on like actually hearing or, or, or um, seeing notes, because we do have, we're unique among commissions in that we're like verbatim. Our notes are all the way through as opposed to just summary. And I'm wondering if that transcription or what have you has kind of colored some of the impressions so that it appears that we're more wishy-washy and don't know what we're doing <laughs> than in fact our scores have. I mean, we've had robust conversations. Um, I, I believe ultimately there have been people who said, oh, this is my pet project or this is what I really believed in. But then actually, as other voices come in, say, let's look at how this shakes out within the rubric and with priorities. We get input from staff about sort of the, the potential stability of the ask um, in terms of some of the more complex grants. Um, so I think, to Matt's point, we have to balance all of that. But I'm wondering if sometimes that discussion might have actually indicated a, a, a confusion rather than the messiness of the process. Um, again, a speculation, but I, I wholeheartedly agree that we take a lot of direction from the work that professionals do, but we also have a rubric to follow and it is not a checklist and that's why we have the opportunity to be able to talk about this as messy and honestly as difficult as it is, especially knowing um, it has been likened to me by a couple of different executive directors that this is like talking about your children, right? And saying, well, which child doesn't? It's a very difficult, painful process. Um, and that can be messy. But I wonder if it also has then led through comments just to make it sound like it's more like that we don't know what we're doing. And, and I don't think that's the case. So Peter, did you feel like there was like this discussion was being pushed by any particular group or any particular members of the You know, I don't think uh, I want to say No say. No. <laughs> I don't I actually don't know that. Because I, I don't think it has a bearing what if, I can if say the group is, in total came out with yeah. right. if this was the finding then that was what yeah. this yeah, committee thought. The recommendations as written regardless of source. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I, it's, it's important to mention the source or anything like that. But uh, what I what I like to say is that uh, some of the people that we have in our uh, committee are people that um, come to our meetings and they, they know what we do. I'm sure definitely not everything that they made a comment is necessarily. Uh, say true, but they are aware of what, what the kind of jobs we do and what kind of people we have in our community. So in a sense, I feel like we need to look at in both ways. I mean, can't just look at it as a criticism, but look at what we can take from that and maybe improve in certain areas. Uh, it, I think it, it wants uh, some improvement. And uh, for example, I know our group are made of, not all of us have the same experience about housing and stuff like that. It, that's Maybe it could be a weakness for, for a commission, but uh, like you said, we represent a com community, so uh, I think we bring different 
perspective, different experience, and for that alone, it's, it's important to have a commission like this to, to be more diverse. But, uh, but we just need to look at how we can take from what the recommendations are, see where we can improve and what we think we don't need improvement, we, we, we stay the course. But yeah, I think we should look at both ways. I just find it interesting that out of the three things they want the overall committee to discuss, that's one of their three top pressing concerns. It, I just find it odd. Well, <laughs> I think I have a unique perspective, and I've been on the other side of this, and I and uh, you know, so I do want to speak. Uh, first of all, um, from the last time I visited on that side of the table, HCDC, I only recognized a couple of commissioners. You know, uh, it's changed a lot, and I think I was told that the turnover of this group is pretty high. So uh, on the issue of staff and recommendations, I do want to know what staff is recommending. Uh, 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 you know, I expect that staff would, you know, if I disagree with it and I say, I appreciate getting this input, but I want to make a decision that's different from what staff recommends. But I do want that expertise. Um, so I do want to see what staff is recommending. And Which then, we do get. And then as, a, as my responsibility on this commission, you know, I'll vote, I'll vote you know, accordingly um, with it. But um, I do think that um, one of the toughest things to do is um, be consistent with a group. You know, a lot of people, uh, you know, that, that are on commissions that are, that are really making decisions about funding, it's not something you do a lot. Um, it's not something I've done a lot. Um, and the process over the years, I know, in the aid agencies has changed quite a bit. I don't think one year in the 13 years I was here has been consistently the same. It's changed a lot. And um, there were always surprises coming forward for the agencies that you know we, we had to meet, whether we were um, a high priority agency. We were ranked. That's the infamous meeting I'll talk, I'll talk about. High priority, if you did priority ranking on, on, the, um, on the, the scoring. You did, you, you know, everybody has a rank in terms of priority of service. And this commission decided to start from the bottom up. That was a total shock and a surprise to the agency. So I think we have to have some consistency. I don't think it's okay for this group to, for the, the, the agencies or the groups that are applying for the money to be totally surprised by a decision that's made by this group come the time that we're scoring the applications because they have no time to react to that. So um, I, um, Whatever we can do, I, I, I have not gone on this side of the table, gone through this process, and so I, I'm hoping to have some things, you know, in the next couple of months to say, you know what, I think we could do this a little bit better, easier here. I don't have anything right now, except that I'm going to be that, um, I will be that loud voice to make sure that we're following the rules that we've set forth and that we put forth in that process for, for anybody who's applying for money to make sure that we're not changing the rules of the 11th hour um, for them. So I think those are my couple of things that I wanted to say. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll speak mostly uh, in support of, of what uh, Becky just said. In, in particular, you know, we've had a couple of years where we've, we've had to make on the fly a decision as to whether we were going to sort of prorate extra funds or, 
or sort of top off some of the top scores or, or go bottom up. And this is and this is the second bullet under under number two on the recommendations. And I, I mean I think that's a, that's a good recommendation. We have had to sort of make that decision on the fly before and uh, I think it was my first year on the commission and I didn't really feel any strong basis for how to make that decision and, and so that that bullet point I think would probably help us uh, do something like that and it would eliminate one particular source of surprise and, and inconsistency. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Brianna, our scoring matrix slash rubrics included with the application so they know? It's in the applicant guide. So, so then the, uh, the, the, the other point here about the uh, staff scores, I find staff scores very, very valuable as a source mm -hmm. of information. I mean, every time I've gotten them, I've, I felt good about them. But I think that ultimately, I, I do very strongly believe we should send one score to the council and it should be the score that we vote on. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I don't think a separate staff, staff score should, should go to the council. Um, it, it's an important source of, um, source of our discussion. It helps us make a decision, but I, I you know, ultimately it is HCDC's role to, to make these funding recommendations. And so having a separate score there doesn't, that doesn't really make sense. It kind of changes the purpose of the, of the commission. In, in regard to the third, most of the affordable housing distribution model, I mean, personally I would Love to see. We've been talking about the security deposit assistance and risk of mitigation fund in the city for I don't know how long. I mean, I remember sitting in 2002 on the Greater Iowa City Apartment Association board and sitting with the the um, oh, I can't think of his name uh, the city housing inspector at the time and the city manager at the time and having the same discussion about it would be nice to have something like this for risk mitigation for landlords to get double deposits and stuff. It's never, it just never has developed. Uh, I think it's important. I think it, it, it pushes those landlords who are on the fence for doing affordable housing if they know that, that if there are problems at the back end of a residency or a tenancy, um, that, that the city's there to back them up um, to make sure that they can keep providing that affordable housing. Um, but other than that, I mean, I, I think that's an important discussion item for you guys to have without a doubt. I mean, the, the entire distribution model as a whole is, you know, um, getting into that zero to 30, 30, 60, 80 AMI stuff, you know, whether, whether the city should still continue. I mean, sometimes it seems like we use fair market rent as a, as, as our guideline or guidepost for some things. And then sometimes we just use the AMI guidepost for other things. It would be nice to see a unified structure for all decisions made. Um, you know, as so, yeah, I, I, I mean, I can support one and three wholeheartedly. I can support section two, kind of where for Becky, where Becky's coming from, which is, I mean, but like you said, like Matt said, I just, there's just a point where if, if you just want scores from staff and just get scores from staff, you're not asking for community involvement at that point. So, and I have only gone through one, so I felt like that one went pretty well. We only have like four applicants, so. Wasn't real tough, but I definitely think that in looking at some of the potential suggestions um, of of how decision making gets done, that, that these are things we should discuss, um, you know, and, and make some decisions on. 
um, the EG full funding to top rated applications or applications will be prorated, partial funding to applicants based on scores. I think that's fair for the agencies to have an expectation of how that's going to work. Because I think one of the things that I know that's been and a constant struggle. Consistently. Here. Yeah, and one of the things that's been a constant struggle is actually, I've heard from agencies where it was like we're trying to, and it does, it depends on the dynamic of who's on the commission at that time and where the discussion goes that yes, at points it had been rather than fully fund the top applicants, it was like, well, we really want to fund more agencies and so it was spread thinner, which, you know, you end up satisfying none, right, or few. Um, so, but I think that that also, over the course of discussion as commissioners, we were thinking, well, how are we being fair and this is within the moment and of course it's, it's understandable because we're talking about it but yes, for the applicants, that is not clear, and it does feel like being blindsided in the moment when you're trying to sit and listen to your budget for the next years. So I think that that is something that would be helpful for us to iron out so that they do have that transparency, and there may well be, based on your experience too, more specifics that, that aren't counted here. These are four examples, obviously. There may be more or different ones that we can come to consensus on, perhaps in, conjunction in conversation with um, agencies about what would be most helpful. I mean, obviously every agency wants to have their full funding, right? That based on what budget we're given, that's not necessarily gonna be possible, um, but, but can we come to an agreement or a, a consensus at least within this commission that seems fair and appropriate and that agencies can, can rely on, okay, there might be ins and outs about how the rubric is applied, but ultimately they'll understand what they get. Does, is, am I kind of paraphrasing yeah. correctly? So I don't mean to repeat, I'm just no, kind of processing out loud, yeah. but I think that it came from being able to look at those details about the types of ways that agencies can understand how they'll get funded. I mean, what the end result for them will be rather than what the process of the discussion is, if that makes sense. As to the, the expertise point, I also want to encourage every member of the commission to uh, to reach out and, and chat with me on the, around the time of funding rounds. Uh, if there's anything I might be able to help with along the way, I'm, Same. I'm happy to do it. Uh, I was certainly a little, uh, you know, a bit lost my first year going through some of that. So, so Peter, do you have a, yeah, do you have a good idea of where we're coming from as a committee as far as taking it back to the steering committee? This is the type of thing that we need to... Or is this something we need to, yeah, yeah I, I put still, in the I'm still a little formal bit of language? Do we, do we need a formal statement here? Or are we sort of giving some informal advice to Peter? I think the steering committee wanted some type of input. Um, don't you agree, Peter? I don't yeah. know if that's whether if you want, if you're comfortable with Peter summarizing. Maybe Peter can summarize what he thought he heard and send that out. And I could share the minutes too. Share the minutes or yeah. I think the summary would be good enough to take yeah. part to. I, I mean, if we're looking for a, a quick summary right now, that if I were to give it, it would appear in the minutes. Uh, I mean, I feel like we, as far as these three recommendations go, I, I heard no opposition to the, or no consternation with first and third. The recommendations mm -hmm. here really, whereas the the second one, I feel like there was quite a bit of openness to um, uh, 
taking a look and considering stack scores as a part of our decision process and and also um, quite a bit of openness to the second bullet point under under number two, some of these considerations about full funding versus prorated applications, but uh, I think a lot less support for the idea that that staff, staff scores support. would be completely centered and that we would just vote them up or down. I, I didn't hear really any yeah. support for, for that no. idea. Uh, is that seem right? Yes. Not for the committee, but since we're going to a funding, funding round in, in September, do you want staff to provide a funding recommendation? I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I do you want like us to, to score it. or just provide a funding recommendation or do both? Oh, I well, I, I had my scores, but what were you going to say? I, I have scores in mind, and I think that, I mean, I know that it's a relatively new introduction or a new implementation. I completely appreciate it, and, and it really helps. Um, so, yeah, I would. Yes, I've only seen it, so it was fine for me last time you did it. So, scores are <laughs> funny. Yeah, I've been doing well, I've been doing this for 20 years and I've had commissions say no, we're on a we're on a citizen commission, we don't want your input. I've had others say yes, why aren't you providing your input? So I <laughs> throughout the years I've had I've had either way. So we'll it doesn't say, matter to us, we just need to know. How about a yes please? Yeah. <laughs> I mean we may completely ignore them, Brianna knows that. Yeah. That's possible. So <laughs> Yeah, I think deviation from them is going to be the norm, but... We, we promise not to I'd ignore like to what see we may reject. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we will not be offended. Right. Okay. Uh, do, we have, do we have any other discussion of the recommendations? No. I still got to get to Shakespeare, so... <laughs> so what did we decide? We're going to respond to this or we're going to... How are we going to respond to this? Peter's going to respond for us. He, okay. I'll get you the minutes, so I don't feel like you have to remember <laughs> okay. everything. She usually takes about a week, but she's pretty quick. When does the steering committee, the steering committee meet again? Uh, is that the September 13th? September something. Yeah. <laughs> 16th, I think, is what I'm it trying is. to sit on it. Yeah. Maybe I'm being, <laughs> right. Right. Maybe I'm being overly fussy, but does it make sense to reach out to the committee and ask, do they want like a, a formal reaction, or is it okay just to summarize? I mean, just that way, just then we're not. Summary. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that was what I, I, I heard the request for was a more yeah. informal uh, okay. summary rather than a voted awesome. uh, item. Uh, so the FY22 mid-year funding round, I believe uh, Brianna and or Tracy have some things to tell us on that. A bit short and sweet, but in the packet there's a calendar coming up for the mid-year funding round. So yeah. we just finished a round, we're starting another one, and then by the time we get done with this, we'll be in the FY23. So mm -hmm. it's going to be a busy year. But on the next meeting, we're going to have, well, applications opened up and they're available until the 31st. So the press release went out and I also emailed them out to some recipients that we've worked with in the past. Um, so at our next meeting, I'll try to get the application packets and the summary of each application out to you before that meeting um, as soon as I can so that you can be informed because at the next meeting we'll bring applicants in and do a question and answer session. Um, and yeah, the calendar is available online. I also put the score 
criteria in the packet, but it's also available online. And I did just want to offer, we've been doing onboarding sessions with new commissioners, but if anyone has questions or you want to meet one-on-one -on -one and ask questions privately, I'm more than happy to set up time to sit down and look at things. So please feel free to ask questions. And Tracy, you always have something good that you say about when we're in an application round about, is it there like not contacting? Oh, <laughs> yeah. You always say about it. Uh, we always ask that when you're in an open funding round, that if, let's say, Tracy's housing nonprofit, I apply, that you don't talk directly to them while you're in funding. When you're in an actual funding round, that conversation remains within this commission. Um, now, when you're outside a funding round, you can talk to whoever, but um, we try to keep those conversations. And then if you do have those conversations, like someone hits you up at the grocery store, disclose that to the group um, should an applicant reach you. And I always remind everybody that as a commission member, you can't accept more than $2.99 from anybody. Is that, your the actual huh? is that the actual amount? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm not making that up. That's I will walk. So the dollar menu is, is uh, still game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one item. You can get Maybe one two. Two. French fries, small McDonald's. cup of coffee, I guess, right? Yeah. French fries and McDonald's. As a conference in Florida, they basically, I said, well, no, I can't accept that. And they're like, well, what is it? There's just like 50 bucks. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Ours is $2.99. <laughs> so. All That's all I got, though, on that. Just reach out with questions. I'm happy to help. I know it's hard the first year, but we're going through it several times this year. So plenty of practice. <laughs> practice. <laughs> Actually, it's probably good for new commission member. You're going to have a very, not a very small, but just a housing round, and that will help because then you'll get that, and then you'll be going through it again in January. So, is is there an online portal that we use for this, or in terms of reviewing the applications and scoring, in um, some, or do we just come up with our own system? People apply online, and we'll get the PDFs and send it to you with any attachments that they have. We didn't do it the last round, but I think Tracy used to do this, where we'll just do a one-page one cover sheet that kind of summarizes any major mm -hmm. staff comments that we would have, eligibility, not eligible, that kind of thing. Uh, and then we'll get you an Excel sheet or a Word document, and you can put your scores into that. It's okay. kind of whatever cool. is comfortable for you. Okay. And then at the meeting after our q and I think we could probably fire up that projector, and I should be able to plug my computer in, and we can look at scores as a group and see how things average out. So you will be going through them and making sure that we understand if an application has come in and it's not eligible for funding at all. Yes. So we don't even have to review it. Nope. See, that's why you want staff in <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We had a lot of those. Yeah. That was an unusual first round. Yeah. It was a tough batch, so. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff in that folder online and then like a week later, nothing was in that folder. I'm like, oh, DVIP was out. DVIP, like, yeah, I was like, oh, okay. We only, yeah, we're good. Fine. Yeah, I think everyone was fully funded, so yeah. we made it, made so it ended up being like, what, three, right. three entities all together? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. So, so our next item, the Iowa City Council meeting updates, uh, mm -hmm. to, to give our, our new commissioners a brief uh, introduction to this. Basically, every, uh, every meeting, two, two commissioners monitor a couple of city council meetings to see if any housing and, and community relevant issues uh, came up and then they provide a summary at the um, at the next meeting. Though one downside of there being a bit of a gap between the last meeting and, and a 
bit of turnover. I have no idea who was assigned last time, and, and uh, if anyone has prepared a city council meeting update, they should say so, so I can call on them. When are the next uh, two meetings, a couple of meetings? Are they on the first and the third? The first September goes back to first and third Tuesdays of the month. So that would be the seventh and the first and some some geeks actually have it in their calendar. So, so I feel like the answer here is that no one was assigned. I think they were assigned. I believe we didn't assign anybody at that last meeting. We kind of had the discussion, but it was. Summer and Maria was leaving, and every yeah, I just yeah, don't I think, think we. You can always go back and watch them, you know, in reverse. If you, I mean, I'm happy to do that. Like, maybe or you can go back and watch them normal I mean, and forward, just if from. If you them. think there's something that we need to do, I mean, I can do. I mean, I think in the past, watching in reverse. I've actually weird. been to the last two, uh -huh. and as far as ones that had to do with affordable housing, I don't think that there was anything particularly relevant. I mean, they were very interesting meetings but right, not yeah. related to housing so there's your august or at least not affordable housing okay. just right right right, housing. right 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 but so, would anyone like to take it on uh, for the uh between now and the next meeting which would be which would be the i think there is uh one more meeting this month yeah, I, I can't do anything this month I can do the 31st. We just passed a meeting, didn't we? Yeah. Yes. So there so, isn't another meeting. So there is only one. one in August, wasn't there? Because we were, is that right? See, that's what I was getting confused. One meeting in August, they changed. Yeah. We got off. So, yeah. so, so we basically just be talking about one council meeting in September. Does anyone want to take it? When is it? September 7th. And there's no obligation here to attend in person. You can view. Um, Summer. It's basically the, uh, especially if you're if you're new. I mean, the basic idea is to uh, either watch the meeting or check through the notes for, for housing relevant issues. If there really aren't any relevant issues, then the summary is is, is uh, as brief as the one Negan just gave, which is that you know uh, there wasn't anything worth. Matt, I'll do September seventh. Uh, we got Kyle then. Yeah, I'll do it. I've got that that night is open and. Yeah. All right. And uh, item 11, housing and community development information. Uh, Riona and or Tracy may have something for us there. I just have a few things. So September 16th, it's going to be busy in the next few months, so bear with us. It's public meeting and approval for the CAPER. The CAPER is the report that summarizes everything we did in the last year. Um, so that will be available at that point. Public comment period for that will start September 1st and that gets submitted to HUD at the end of the month. We'll do the Q&A with CDBG and home applicants. That typically takes a good chunk of the meeting. Um, Lindy resigned her seat and we just heard yesterday that Marianne Dennis was appointed. Mm. So mm. if you don't know Marianne, she worked formerly with the Housing Fellowship and has a ton of housing experience. Mm -hmm. So that'll be really exciting That's to have really her. Cool have her experience um and then just my last note there's an ev eviction prevention help desk available at the johnson county courthouse monday afternoons from 12 30 to 3. those are all my updates anything no um, short and sweet when did you mondays from when to when 
Mondays, 12.30 to 3, and there's a flyer on our website. If you go to the press release section, I think that came out within the last couple weeks. Well, the city did allocate $41,000 to Iowa Legal Aid and to Shelter House. Shelter House will be administering it. It's to try to entice, so if somebody's getting evicted, because or will be getting evicted, that they can basically say, here's one month's rent. We'll, we'll pay your upcoming month's rent if you will take the time to apply for the state assistance for back rent so that we try to keep people housed and not evicted. So I believe this shelter house is set up um, on Monday afternoons at the Johnson County Courthouse just to assist people. And I know they push back the eviction moratorium, but Chris, yeah, people are coming. Kind of. People are coming. Oh, yeah. Everybody does. Yeah. Yeah. And the only people who have been a bit have been the folks that just haven't shown up. Yeah. So they've been really successful and haven't had any spending money. Okay. We've just been um, deliberating with the landlords and uh, working yeah. with the members. And the city did send the information about those two programs. We sent an email to over 1,300 landlords through our, we don't like doing this because we don't want to flood landlords and property managers email for notice but we thought it was important to get that information out so landlords can start talking with their tenants about how they can get that back rent and not evict. It's been just have it come from Stan with, with no message, just a clickable they have to open up because everybody will look at that. <laughs> just uh, important information about your property from the city. Yeah. <laughs> And we are all out of agenda. Would anyone like to make a motion to adjourn? So moved. Second. Second. <laughs>